This audio lecture is based entirely upon the casebook Sales and Leases, a problem-based approach by Scott J. Burnham and Kristen Juris. The casebook is published by Callie E. Langdell Press and licensed Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 4.0 International. That means that the authors have allowed everyone to copy and redistribute the material in any medium or format and remix, transform, and build upon the material as long as users give appropriate credit. Don't use the material for commercial purposes and redistribute contributions under the same license. Much thanks is due to the authors for writing this book and providing it to everyone for free. In furtherance of this spirit and in compliance with the original license, I also license this audio lecture as Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 4.0 International. I hope you enjoy. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Contracts Lectures. In this lecture, we will be discussing formation of a contract under the UCC. So first, a quick discussion on common law principles of contract formation. The common law has developed principles governing formation of a contract, including the requirement of mutual assent between the parties manifested through an offer and acceptance. Early in its development, the common law was strict, making it difficult at times to form a contract. Under the early mirror image rule, the terms of the acceptance had to exactly mirror the terms of the offer in order for a contract to be formed. Furthermore, the manner of acceptance, promise, or performance had to be the same, as did the medium of acceptance, that is, a letter or telegraph. For example, if an offer to sell a horse was delivered to a potential buyer in a telegram, the buyer could accept the offer only by telegram and not by letter and not by performance. However, even before the UCC was adopted, these strict rules of contract formation were being relaxed by the courts and legislatures. Reflecting current common law, the restatement second of contracts provides, quote, unless otherwise indicated by the language or the circumstances, an offer invites acceptance in any manner and by any medium reasonable in the circumstances, end quote. Even though the common law has relaxed the rules of offer and acceptance, 
Many courts require a mirror image acceptance of the terms proposed. In other words, a purported acceptance is not effective if it adds new or differing terms from those proposed. Instead, it is a counter-offer. The Restatement Second of Contracts, Section 59, stating, quote, A reply to an offer which purports to accept it, but is conditional on the offeror's assent to terms additional to or different from those offered, is not an acceptance, but is a counteroffer. End quote. If a seller offers to sell a horse for $2,000 and the buyer replies, it's a deal if you include the bridle, then there is no acceptance. The buyer's response is a counteroffer. At common law, a contract cannot be formed if essential terms are missing. In one case, Drug Fair Northwest versus Hooper Enterprises, Inc., the court determined that a letter regarding the lease of property did not form a contract. Although the letter referenced the lease of a specific property and the rental amount, it did not specify the commencement date of the lease or the responsibility of the parties for taxes, insurance, repairs, maintenance, and utilities. In addition, the letter provided for renewal terms, but failed to specify the rental amount for the renewal periods. Now moving to the relaxed formation rules under the UCC. As noted by the Montana Supreme Court and ConAgra, Inc. v. Nirenberg, quote, The UCC rules governing sales agreements are far more permissive in this respect than the general common law rules governing contract formation. End quote. The party trying to avoid a contract for a sale of grain argued that there was no mutual assent as to all material terms of the contract. The court cited Section 2-204 to support its finding that a contract had been formed. Under Section 2-204-1, a contract for the sale of goods may be made in any manner sufficient to show agreement, including conduct by both parties which recognizes the existence of a contract. Under Section 2-204-2, a contract may be found even though the moment of its making is undetermined. Under Section 2-204-3, even though one or more terms are left open, a sales contract does not fail for indefiniteness if the parties have intended to make a contract and there is a reasonably certain basis for giving an appropriate remedy. The court also noted the gap filler provisions upon which it could rely under Part 3 of Article 2. The court noted that the only term generally required is a quantity term, citing Comment 1 of Section 2-201. One warning. 
The official comment to Section 2-204 states, quote, The more terms the parties leave open, the less likely it is that they have intended to conclude a binding agreement. But their actions may be frequently conclusive on the matter despite the omissions. End quote. Although the UCC is more flexible, it still must be established that there was an intent to agree on the part of both parties. If a seller agrees to sell a particular widget and the buyer agrees to buy it, it looks like they made an agreement, but the terms are certainly indefinite. As we discussed, the UCC wants to facilitate the making of the agreement, and if the parties intended an agreement, it will attempt to supply the missing terms. The official comment to Section 2-204 states, quote, Nor is the fact that one or more terms are left to be agreed upon enough of itself to defeat an otherwise adequate agreement. Rather, commercial standards on the point of indefiniteness are intended to be applied. This act making provision elsewhere for missing terms needed for performance, open price, remedies, and the like. End quote. So let's look at some of those gap fillers or default rules. Relating to price. In the absence of a stated price, the price is a reasonable price. The usual measure of a reasonable price is some objective source such as the seller's catalog or the market price. If the price is to be set by one of the parties, then that party is constrained by good faith as previously discussed. Quantity Section 2-204-3 states that a contract does not fail for indefiniteness if, quote, there is a reasonably certain basis for giving an appropriate remedy, end quote. Failure to state a quantity can be fatal because without a quantity, it is difficult to determine the remedy. For example, if I sue you for your failure to deliver widgets, how many did you promise me? Failure to state a quantity is not fatal, however, if there is a reasonable basis for supplying the quantity term. It might be supplied by course of dealing. If each month a law firm has purchased 10 reams of paper from a seller and in April it orders paper, the quantity can probably be supplied by the past measure. According to Section 2-306, if the quantity is measured either by the output of the seller or the requirements of the buyer, that is sufficient to establish a quantity. The amount supplied or demanded is constrained by good faith and by prior output or requirements. And delivery. Section 2-307 provides the default rule that all the goods ordered must be tendered in a single delivery. If the parties contract around that rule, 
they have created an installment contract under 2-612. According to Section 2-308, the absence of a specified place for delivery, the place of delivery is at the seller's place of business or residence if the seller does not have a place of business. As we will see, this concept becomes important when we discuss delivery terms. The starting point is that the seller has no obligation to deliver the goods to the buyer. And time. Section 2-309 provides that when the contract does not specify a time, the default rule is a reasonable time. And payment. Sections 2-307 and 2-310 provide that payment is due on tender of delivery. According to Section 2-511, payment must be made in the manner current in the ordinary course of business. So if it is customary to pay by check, the seller must accept a check. However, if the seller demands legal tender, the seller must give the buyer an extension of time to come up with the cash. And quality. The quality of the goods promised by the seller is a matter of warranty law, which is discussed in future lectures. Now moving to offer and acceptance. The UCC has not done away with the concepts of offer and acceptance. Although not expressly stated in such terms in Section 2-204, both must still be present in order to form a contract under the UCC. We turn to the common law for basic principles of offer and acceptance, except to the extent they are revised by the UCC. An offer is defined by the Restatement Second of Contracts, Section 24, as, quote, the manifestation of willingness to enter into a bargain, so made as to justify another person in understanding that his assent to that bargain is invited and will conclude it. End quote. A bargain is an agreement to exchange promises or to exchange a promise for a performance or to exchange performances. At common law, an offer can be revoked, that is, taken back, at any time prior to acceptance, unless consideration is paid to hold the offer open, referred to as an option contract. According to the Restatement Second of Contracts, Section 36, in addition to revocation, the power of an offeree to accept is terminated by 1. Rejection or counteroffer by the offeree, 2. Lapse of time, or 3. Death or incapacity of the offeror or offeree. 
Section 2-205 alters the common law rule on revocation of an offer. Under common law, an offeror can withdraw an offer at any time prior to acceptance unless the offeror has specifically agreed to hold the offer open, which agreement must be supported by additional consideration, resulting in an option contract. For example, if on March 1, A offers to sell his house to B for $100,000, offer open until April 1, He can withdraw his offer at any time prior to acceptance unless B pays consideration to A for the promise to hold the offer open until April 1. Looking at Section 2-205, which provides that an offer will be irrevocable or firm without payment of any additional consideration, that is, a departure from common law. The provision probably reflects prevailing commercial practice and is available only in the following circumstances. The offeror must be a merchant. There must be a writing signed by the merchant offering to hold the offer open. The period of irrevocability must be for a reasonable time which cannot exceed three months, and if longer than three months, will be enforced up to three months. And if the writing containing the firm offer is provided by the offeree, the firm offer portion of the writing must be separately signed by the offeror. This fourth requirement is a good example of reasonable expectations a concept found frequently in the UCC, though that name for it is never used. The concept recognizes the reality that the parties do not read their contracts carefully and puts the burden on the party offering an unusual or unexpected term to reasonably call it to the attention of the other party. If consideration is paid by the offeree to the offeror to hold the offer open, the terms of Section 2-205 do not apply. Once an offer is made, a contract is formed when the offer is accepted. Acceptance is the manifestation by the offeree of assent to the terms of the offer. In other words, if the offeree does not clearly express assent to the terms that have been offered, there is no acceptance. Under the common law, if an expression of acceptance contains any differing terms or additional terms than those contained in the original offer, this is a counter-offer and not an acceptance. For example, A offers to sell B her car for $10,000. B replies that he'll accept her offer provided that she provides a new set of tires. At common law, this is not an acceptance, but a counteroffer. The UCC has modified the common law rule regarding mirror acceptance, most notably under Section 2-207, commonly referred to as the Battle of the Forms.
But let's start with section 2-206. We will dedicate a later lecture to the intricacies of section 2-207. As the common law developed, there was a departure from the mirror image rule regarding the manner of acceptance. Today, most jurisdictions allow acceptance in any reasonable manner and by any reasonable medium, unless the offeror prescribes a specific manner or medium of acceptance. Note, at common law, the offeror is still master of the offer and can still insist on a specific manner or medium of acceptance. Consistent with the development under common law, Section 2-206-1A allows an offeree to accept, quote, in any manner and by any medium reasonable in the circumstances, end quote, unless otherwise unambiguously indicated by the language or circumstances. Section 2-206-1B provides that if an offerer to buy goods seeks prompt or current shipment, the seller can accept by either a prompt promise to ship or by prompt performance. In other words, a reference to a prompt shipment is not to be construed as limiting the manner of acceptance to shipment, but also allows acceptance by promise. Under Section 2-206-1b, If there is an offer to buy goods for prompt or current shipment and the seller responds by promptly sending a shipment, but the shipment is non-conforming, the shipment will nonetheless operate as an acceptance even though it does not mirror the terms of the offer. In other words, the seller accepts and breaches at the same time. However, if the seller does not want to breach, it could notify the buyer that the shipment is only an accommodation, in which event it becomes a counteroffer that the buyer can accept or reject. Under Section 2-206-2, if an offeree accepts by beginning performance, and performance is a reasonable mode of acceptance, the offeree must also provide notice within a reasonable time of beginning performance. Failure to do so will allow the offeror to treat the offer as having lapsed before acceptance. Now moving to the Uniform Electronic Transactions Act. Most states have adopted the Uniform Electronic Transactions Act promulgated by the Uniform Law Commission in 1999. E-Sign is the federal statute governing the enforceability of electronic contracts and signatures. Like the UETA, it does not attempt to provide substantive law. E-Sign does not preempt state law if a state uniformly enacts sections 1 to 16 of the UETA. As noted by the Uniform Law Commission, quote, the primary objective of this act is to establish the legal equivalence 
of electronic records and signatures with paper writings and manually signed signatures, removing barriers to electronic commerce. End quote. The UETA is not intended to be a source of substantive law regarding contracts. It relies upon other applicable laws for matters such as contract formation and enforceability. Section 5B of the UETA specifically requires that a party assent to conduct a transaction electronically in order for UETA to apply. It does not force parties to use electronic records, electronic signatures, or other electronic processes. Where it applies, the UETA allows offers and acceptances to be communicated electronically. The formation of a contract may not be denied solely because there is not a pen and ink writing or signature. However, substantive law applies to the electronic communications. For example, if A sends an email to B stating, I offer to sell you my collection of baseball cards for $1,000, and B replies by email stating, I'll buy them for $900, the substantive laws of offer and acceptance apply and B's email will be construed as a counteroffer rather than an acceptance. Section 14 of the UETA allows contracts to be formed by machines functioning as electronic agents for parties to a transaction without action or review by a human being. An electronic agent is defined at Section 2.6 to include, for example, an automated computer program. This is referred to as an automated transaction. Under the UETA Section 14.2, special rules apply to the formation of a contract in an automated transaction occurring between an electronic agent on the one end and an individual on the other. Not all transactions between an individual and, for example, a website result in a contract. For example, an agreement is not necessarily formed when you get into the ULC website to look at the text of the UETA. However, what if you get onto a website and a little box pops up and provides you with the terms of usage and states conspicuously, quote, if you proceed further, you consent to the above terms, end quote. Or if the website does not allow you to proceed further unless you click, yes, I agree. That is a kind of click wrap agreement. A contract may be formed if the individual performs actions that, one, the individual is free to refuse to perform, and two, the individual knows or has reason to know will cause the electronic agent on the other end to complete the transaction or performance. Thanks, everybody. That's all I'd like to talk about in this lecture. Take care.